In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. This is actually my first episode recording this summer since, gosh, May, June? I don't know exactly when I last recorded. So it's fun to like be back in your ears in the raw, real form. This summer, we took really a little over 30 days and we lived in the RV. We weren't always traveling. We weren't always off adventuring, but we were really trying to change what our life could look like if we were in the RV and and maybe just not at home. And so we're going to dive deeper into that in this episode. I got to meet some amazing people along the way, and I'm hoping I will have them on the show as well. It's been really encouraging to see what life could be. And really, that is the theme for this episode is how we use our summer experiment to live our ideal life. And that is, I think, a process that, um, you know, many people plan things, but don't always know where to start or what the first step is. And so I would say this is a really critical first, second, third, fifth step (laughs) before you actually get to that ideal life, because otherwise it can feel like a really long slog. Before I get to that, though, I want to share a review. I realized it has been Oh, dear. A long time since I have read a written review. So this review comes from Chris Hutchins. Love the show. Great advice. Thanks, Heidi. I love the show and the message Heidi brings to the world with each episode. She's fantastic at helping people bring more joy to their lives and start creating more simple adventures with their families. That is such an honor to receive that. And that is a simple thing that any of you can do. I have both the podcast and the book on Amazon feel free to jump on and leave a written review and let me know what you're thinking or shoot me an email, reach out to me. I think that's the call to action this week is reach out to me with whatever questions you have or leave a written review on something that really resonated either from this episode or previous episodes. I also want to just mention if you are curious at all about RV lifestyle or nomadic entrepreneurship or anything like that, I strongly encourage you to consider attending the RV Entrepreneur Roundtable. It's September 7th through 11th in Montrose, Colorado. They just changed it from a a summit, which was a little bit more formal with presentations to a roundtable, and they dropped the price as well. So I am so excited. I think it's going to be such a fun, like interactive way to connect with content creators that may be further ahead of you on the journey. If you've ever read my book, I talk about like the land of a thousand ladders, like who's on the ladder that you want to be on, who's a couple rungs ahead of you. It's a great way to interact with other people that may be slightly ahead of you or maybe behind you and want to learn from you and support you on your own journey. So I think it's a really great way. I have the link in the show notes to register disclosure, I am speaking there too. So if you want to meet me in a really cool place and hang out and have fun in the afternoon and evenings, you know, it's very family friendly. So the link is in the show notes. I am beyond excited to attend and connect with others, whether they're be listeners or just people that have similar mindsets around what life could be in an RV or from the entrepreneur side perspective. I think it's just a really interesting way to connect with others. So really excited about that. 
When I was introduced to the concept of financial independence, retire early, and you'll hear this theme a lot on this show because it was really transformational for me to consider what life could be like if I didn't have to constantly be generating revenue for our personal lives. It was really mind-blowing, actually. I was intrigued with the idea of retiring early, but then like, what would we do? I mean, these were conversations that my husband and I talked about. We had said, you know, it'd be amazing if we could retire by, you know, I think the number was 55 and then it was 50. And then now it's, I don't know what age it is. We're, we're less actually interested in the number at this point. We're more interested in what would our life be like if we didn't have to work uh, in a traditional setting. Now, that's a big step, and I realize that's a privileged lens to look at things that way. But when I realized that life could be more than work and traditional school for the next 20 years, it gave me a jolt of energy. Because <laughs> it gets to a point I remember saying at 35, there's really not many more milestones coming. You know, I'm married with kids, all the birthdays, I guess graduation, we could look forward to that. But I'm not really looking forward to my kids leaving. Like, what is the next milestone of our life? And there's a lot of them in your 20s and 30s. And then you hit your 40s, and I was like, meh. I'm looking forward to retirement. When is that going to be? It led us on this journey of what do we want our life to look like? And I've done extensive thought leadership in the space since then. And each year we try to make progress towards testing concepts and see what fits. It's really hard to imagine a lifestyle other than what we currently know, because you don't always recognize that there's limiting beliefs. There's things that we've learned or have been taught or have just been modeled for us, and we don't always know that there's another way. We can't even think about what's possible sometimes. So I think this is definitely a journey. This isn't something I had last week, but I think starting the process is really helpful. And so I want to take you through kind of where we started on this journey, what I thought our life was going to look like and where we've been in the last ah, three months and, and kind of where we're going. So for several years, I had this dream of long-term extensive travel. We had been testing various forms of what that looked like. You know, I remember the first time we took a two-week vacation and that seems so unfathomable when I was just entering the workforce. Up until then, I had only had two weeks of vacation at work. Taking two weeks was a big step because it meant we were using a lot of our vacation at once. Now I've realized there's a lot of different ways to look at this. I had to slice and dice your vacation time or take a trip and what is available. So that was really fascinating. But about five years ago, I learned about round-the-world tickets, and these are just things, if you aren't aware of them, I don't know if you need to be aware of them, but they're things that airline companies offer, and I think the one I was looking at was through United, where you could make 10 stops in one direction around the globe, and it had to be done in within a year, within a calendar year, and there was a lot of little rules behind it, but I thought, like, that's our goal. That's what we're going to work towards. That's what we're going to do. And after extensively researching the restrictions and the timelines and the stops and the cost, I ultimately decided that that feels really unrealistic for a family of five. But I wasn't turned off by it. The next was like, well, where do we want to go? Like if I was to choose the list of where we want to go, what would that mean? And one stop I'd never been to and just seemed out of reach was Hawaii. So I thought, well, what if instead of doing this around the world trip, what if we did like an extensive amount of time in Hawaii? And it was ironic because at the same time I was working on understanding and really delving into travel rewards. And so Hawaii felt like a reasonable goal. I will now tell you, though, that I don't necessarily have destinations in mind. But here's what happened when we decided that Hawaii was the goal. It gave us something as a target to work towards. I learned roughly like what the costs were going to be to fly to Hawaii 
from the mainland. How are we going to get to that spot? You know, there's not a lot of trips from Wisconsin direct to Hawaii. So how are we going to manage that? What were going to be the pain points? One of them being the amount of time on the airplane. Other things like we're just not really big resort people. So how could we have a local experience? We got to meet some locals. We did some interesting things through Hip Camp and through Airbnb and a host day, which were really fun and kind of immersive in the experience of what Hawaii could be like. So that was really fascinating. And by the way, I'm going to link in the show notes. I'll give you, I have an entire episode on how we flew to Hawaii as a family of five for under $500. We didn't completely hack it. I know we paid a little bit uh, for camping. We rented a camper van at one point, and that we weren't able to use completely with rewards because we did write off our Airbnb experience. And then the host day was actually like a private interchange with a friend of a friend of a friend of a network. (laughs) And so that was a direct pay. We didn't actually have a way to write that off through travel rewards. But some of the things that that led us to were notching up our adventure experiences with kids and get off the beaten path. So this started in 2012 in a little town called Lance, Michigan, Upper Peninsula of Michigan. It is this tiny little town. But what it taught us is we started to look for we had a three month old at the time and a two year old. And it taught us like we don't really want to go anywhere. We just want to be together as a family. And so we started researching, like, what are things we like to do? And, you know, we'd skip stones and stay at the cabin for a while, but we had to get out and do things. And so one day was rainy and we painted rocks. And if you would have told me I was going on vacation to paint rocks, I would have told you you were crazy. But it actually was very fun. It was very bonding. It was this simple adventure that happened during the rainstorm that we wouldn't likely do as a family otherwise. The other thing, I fell in love with waterfalls, and Upper Michigan is notorious for, like, the land of a million waterfalls. They were gorgeous. So hiking to waterfalls with a baby and my son, it was really fascinating. That really kind of helped us get off the beaten path a little bit more and think differently about what a vacation might look like. I also realized that taking other families' adventure or travel advice didn't fit us. When people would say, oh, you should go here or you should go there, I was like, you know, stop shooting on me. (laughs) I don't know that I want to do those things. And when we did those things, they actually weren't really fulfilling. So we learned that, you know, it, it doesn't always mean we're like other people. And I think that's when we started to realize that we're a little different and we're okay with that. When I started using Travel Rewards, I mentioned Hawaii. So we spent three weeks in Hawaii in 2021. It was just this great experiment with family travel rewards. Family travel is is tricky, right? So finding a way to really hack that for a family of five, when you see a lot of the travel rewards, it's like bros or single female travelers. And that's just challenging. Even more than two, it gets really hard for a family. So I wanted to figure it out. We did it. I feel like I've done that. And now instead of trying to like have a destination that we're working towards, we really just try to optimize our travel rewards and then don't have any guilt when we want to use them because we've earned them and we've been hacking this optimization strategy. That has been really fascinating too because we've now learned we don't really want to use the travel rewards as a goal. It's more of a tool to help us experience different things. I would say, you know, this had been emerging for a while, but the thought of untourism, of traveling deeper, traveling a little bit slower, really getting into places and connecting with others. We love meeting friends or meeting up other people's friends or family. You know, recently on a trip to Arizona with my daughter, I stayed with friends that I had met through podcasting or through work that I'd actually never met in real life. And I was sitting in their living room taking a call and I was like, 
this is the dream life. This is how I grew up staying with family. We would travel to cousin's house or aunt and uncle's house or whoever. And it was also this little reunion, right, where you get to meet and you get to talk and it's not a funeral or a wedding. That's what this feels like. This is like a cool meetup where I get to see inside these people's worlds and we can have real conversations on the patio or in the car somewhere. It's not this artificial networking time that we often are pushed into. So that was really helpful, too, because I realized like, okay, we travel differently and we love this peer connection, this interaction. I think 2020 really solidified this, but going even back to 2012, we had created this foundation with simple adventures in our own backyard and in our local community. Well, that can go with you anywhere. It doesn't have to be just when we're home. So if you would have told me, you know, five years ago that I would be renting an RV, (laughs) I would have told you you were crazy. But when I realized what adventure could look like when it's not home, And we have a little vacation home with us at all times. It gave us so many more options. We weren't trapped in the cycle, oh, what is available from a rental car perspective, someone else kind of controlling the logistics. We had a lot more say in what that looked like. We were tent campers. We were giddy airplane travelers. I love, to this day, I love getting on an airplane. I know I'm probably not the majority here, but there is something that just like tingles inside of me when I get into an airport. Now today... I sleep in the RV. My husband and I just talked about this this morning. Like, I think I'm going to sleep in the RV tonight because I sleep so much better. And there's just something calming about our experience of having this little vacation home on wheels. So even when we're not traveling, I love immersing myself in these adventure experiences or something that just feels a little less normal. I would look at all the things. As I've been designing experiences, I try to find ways to hack like what's already out there. I would look at things like tours or things that were designed for family travel. I like this piece. I like this piece. I don't want that, that, or that. How can I hack this to make it for us? And it may not be perfect. The warm pools in Hawaii at sunset is a perfect example. We could have hired a guide, and it may have been a much richer and deeper experience. Maybe they could offer an insider view. But for the price and what we were able to create and the value of that experience of a hidden gem for a fraction of the price, for us, the experience and having that one-on-one guide was not necessarily worth the experience we already had. So I felt really good about that. And those are the things we try to optimize for. When you look at your ideal lifestyle, I think you really have to start to question what are the core tenets and begin testing what that means for you. You know, do your expectations align with reality? So I wanted to just give you, here are some of the core learnings over the past summer and some insights from our 30-day RV life experiment. And I don't say RV travel experiment, because actually we're learning that we like to travel a little bit less and stay longer and slow things down. You're going to hear that in this, but I'll, I'll start with kind of the core tenets. The first one would be travel. What often started for me as a destination, this bucket list of destinations we wanted to figure out, has actually shifted to this foundation of simple adventures. We can have meaningful experiences anywhere. And there are so many places that we don't even know about. Here's a great example from our experience this summer. I had seen this bookstore in Golden, British Columbia, in Canada. And You know, I just looked like a fun indie bookstore, given the fact that I just launched my book. I'm a little more curious and I'm probably noticing these things more. 
But not only did it have this awesome bookstore, it had a really awesome farmer's market and this custom built bridge that had my husband like totally attracted to the design and the build and the framing of this covered bridge. It was absolutely gorgeous. There was a bakery and there was great biking trails, just the culture and the vibe of this little community. Those are the ones we love and we just want to say, okay, we got to put this on our list to come back to because we didn't expect this and now it's got us intrigued and we did not schedule enough time to stay there, (laughs) which I am regretting now. So travel isn't always about the destination. It's the art form of what do we do when we travel? What do we want to experience? For us, what travel has always meant is the second pillar, which is time together. Unplugged, not distracted by life or the outside world. You know, at one day, my youngest two played for over four hours at a creek behind our campsite. And it was just so fun to sit at the picnic table. You know, they're probably 15 yards away from me. Hearing them talk, both the imaginary play and the things they came up with and the ways they entertained themselves for hours. Literally, I asked if they wanted to go to the playground. They're like, no, we want to play at the creek. I'm like, what are you playing? And, you know, they couldn't even tell me like, no, no, no. well, we're making our own food and we're doing this and we're doing that. And I was like, this is amazing. I think it's so fun when you can turn the natural world into vivid stories and create these really bonding moments. Meanwhile, our oldest was reading the fly fishing Bible and was testing how to tie various flies. This is a new passion for him. He's totally diving head in. So time together doesn't always have to be forced family time. But in both scenarios, we were learning from each other. We were spending time together unplugged, doing things that brought us joy, and they didn't cost anything. You know, being intentional about this unplugging time doesn't necessarily matter where we are. You know, sometimes we'll spend an entire weekend with my phone in airplane mode because it allows me to not be so distracted by the little things that take our attention away. The third pillar that we learned in you know, all these experiments is consensus is not the goal. Engagement is. We don't all have to agree on what we want to do, but we always have to do something that someone else wants to do. So three kids that could not be more different. I joke that my daughter would probably live a life reading independently Harry Potter or her new book recommended from a friend on the road was Percy Jackson. (laughs) So, you know, my daughter would live in that world. That would be torture. So how do we balance that? One loves to mountain bike. One loves to fish. One just loves engines and would do anything with a motor to go as fast as he can. So our thought process is, well, if we do something that each person likes, that will help build engagement and buy-in. And usually when we're in those things that other people like, they're excited for their brother or sister too. I'm excited when my husband can kind of be gleefully riding his mountain bike and I don't have to go. There, there's something to be said about that. We don't always have to be together in all of these things and we don't always have to agree on it. Our fourth pillar, I think I'm on number four here, is to slow down. There is something that happens. We notice things differently. It's less about the time and the pace, but more about it gives you the space or the conditions for your brain to process and take in what you are experiencing. I've done some work in mindfulness, in being present, and in documenting our life journey. And for example, when I was doing photography sessions for families, when I was doing photography work, I would go and scout the community and say like, okay, I have the vibe. I have an idea of what they're looking for. And I would look through different places for backdrops or lighting before the session. 
And it's really astonishing what is in our community that I never noticed before. That again, looked like a little worn down. I was like, that is the perfect, and you don't need a lot of space. So sometimes I was finding these and and people are like, where is that? I'm like, it's in our backyard or it's at this community park or it's the side of this building or this business or this place. And when you begin to notice things like this, you know, it could, like I said, an interesting building, a trail or a tree that you hadn't paid attention to despite driving past it for years and years, you also start to see ordinary things in a different light. So slowing down for me is not necessarily about the pace. It's about giving yourself the opportunity to notice things that you may not have noticed otherwise. I see people differently now that we slow down. I talk to people differently. I look at things with a different lens because the goal isn't self-centered. It's like learning curiosity and exploring as opposed to what can I accomplish by this time. Our fifth pillar is really asking the question, what do we actually need? So I enjoy the research and the planning of creating these experiences. Sometimes I can go too far and it becomes really stressful. And perhaps that plan seemed good, but you found something else you want to do and that wasn't in the plan and you just don't have enough flexibility built in. So during our most recent 30 plus days, I think we were in the RV, by the way, for 33 days. So it's not like, you know, 30 plus is is 60. We were... We were roughly planning for hoping, like hoping for a month, but we were not traveling, like I said, for a full month. But almost half of that time was planned. We had reservations, we had key points of interest. Then the other half was completely whimsical. We didn't know where we were sleeping that night. We didn't know how far we wanted to get. It was kind of funny because I still researched options of where I thought we might want to go. And when we went back to that kind of engagement theme, We asked each of the kids, what did you want to experience on this trip? My daughter wanted to go to a natural hot spring, and my son wanted to go fly fishing. Okay, we were in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and we decided Missoula, Montana has great fly fishing. There's a couple of fly shops there. Let's go there. He can interact and talk with other people who are really passionate about fly fishing, and we'll figure out what else is there that the other kids can enjoy as well. It turned into a stream walk and a little bit of a like, oh, really? <laughs> it's not easy to like sit in a stream with two young kids that are not interested in fly fishing. But it also gave us an opportunity to say, well, what do you want to do? That led us to Stanley, Idaho to go check out some hot springs. And I think when it comes to the planning part, I like to ask, you know, what do we actually need? We didn't need reservations. We didn't need hookups. We were fine. And I think we found this good vibe, this good groove of traveling roughly roughly seven days. We don't really need hookups after that, but we need to fill up and dump and things of that nature. So it's nice to be back in civilization. But I also think living in the RV for 30 days helped us to find the parts and pieces of our life that we missed and craved. No one missed home. In fact, I would ask over and over again, like, how are you guys doing today? You know, is there something you're missing? Is there something you want? Is there something you wish you had that you had back home or something you want to experience? And there really wasn't anything. Nobody longed for things that we left behind. There were a couple friendships occasionally, like people were wondering how their friends were doing or what they were playing. I compiled a list of the key learnings from the most recent 30-day RV living experience. And to frame really, like, what did this experience highlight for us? And how are we experimenting with what, what that means going forward? So, you know, in that five, you were a family of five, traveling living, experiencing life for 30 days in an RV, I would say we learned that we use this more as a location-independent lifestyle 
And it's this constant questioning of like, how far do we want to travel? How long do we want to stay? There's no defined rules for us. We have learned that we, we had already kind of known this through testing previously, that four-hour drive is really our max. We don't do well. Both my husband and I get antsy too. And when we stay, a minimum of three nights is required. And that was where even on those nights of three nights, I was like, this one should have been five. This one should have been seven. <laughs> we were really seeing that the longer we stayed, the more opportunities there were for the connection things of and the untourism opportunities that it takes a little while to like get your bearings. And the day after travel is always a down day for us. So we kind of settle in, we kind of make a plan, we get some ideas, but we're, we're just like figuring out the community in day one. So you really lose an entire day. We've really found that, I guess, to go back to the point of we needed a daily reminder to slow down. It is very, it's very unnatural for us to consider that life doesn't have to be this checkbox of a to-do list. The second thing, I mean, another piece I kind of alluded to as well was simple adventures are foundational to our overall experience. The Creek and Jasper was a perfect example of that. We did not do a lot of, you know, if you look at our list of all the things we did, it's kind of funny because I've been like making reels and doing some catch up on social media. And I was like, what do I want to highlight? Like we played at a lake and it was 50 degrees out and people thought we were crazy because they came with their winter jackets on and my kids are in swimming suits. <laughs> like... I don't know what you want me to highlight here, but the fact is, is we could be happy anywhere, that there's a lot of joy in the simple things that we're doing in life. It has very little to do with what we're paying for. One of our highlights, I think, was the people we met. This is a key learning for us as well. You know, the lifeguard at Radium Springs, the rafting guy that we like want to be friends with, the van life couple who had two dogs, and later a family in the hot springs in Idaho, or our camping neighbor family in, in Spearfish, South Dakota, we had created such interesting relationships in the short amount of time. So travel really compresses relationships because you don't have as much, you know, back and forth of this awkward, like getting to know you and networking. It's more like deep conversations happened really fast from this place of genuine curiosity. You have people that have similar ideas or values and just having those conversations is really worthwhile. So I'm hoping you might even get to meet some of these friends of ours now. I would say another one is regardless of how much research we did, the greatest joy came from interacting with others. And usually those were adventurous travels or locals with an adventurous lifestyle. I'm not going to find those things online. I'm not going to find who I need to meet where unless it's intentional. But it has told us that our upcoming adventures are going to be intentional about how do we connect with those that we really want to interact with? Who are the people in our lives that we already have, friends or family or you know, others in the space of adventure family that we want to meet up with, that we want to build relationships, that we want to get to know them better because it's really hard to do these things from afar. Or it's, you know, the once a year at a funeral that we start to meet up and we regret having these and we regret the fact that we haven't made the space or made the time or had the intentionality around scheduling something. So that is going to be a future focus as we move forward. We don't really need much to enjoy life. You know, we felt a bit more creative with less. I call this like the toothpaste theory. When you think about a tube of toothpaste, I don't know if your kids do this, but it seems like when we have this huge plump tube, it's like squirting everywhere. And I have so much toothpaste on my toothbrush. I'm, I don't need that much. You just need a dot. 
And yet when we hardly have any, we scrimp at it and it's empty for days and we still find a way to get just enough on there to brush our teeth. So I love that theory of like having just enough to like scrimp and get creative and think about what we could do. Because when we have excess, we don't really put much thought into what do we want to do. We just kind of go with what's in front of us. Another learning was that flexibility is a critical value in our life. We had a couple of issues along the way. You know, it's not like rainbows and butterflies, by the way. So we had our toilet break in the RV. Thankfully, we were at a space that had flush toilets. And that was an entire day out of our adventure plans where my husband had to drive 50 miles to go get the part to fix the toilet. It was not a pleasurable, pleasurable experience. And I'm really glad the kids and I left that day. And he really appreciated the fact that we're going to we have a toilet. <laughs> There's a lot to be said about having a toilet in your RV. The second thing I would say is, you know, he was meticulous about checking tire pressures and things like that every single day, especially when we were going to be going somewhere. And that meticulousness, I uh, applaud him for being that kind of person. That showed that there was a crack in our dolly, that was our tow dolly, that was hauling our van. And it just wasn't worth driving the extra mileage and risking potentially getting a flat tire. So we took the day again and extended our stay in Idaho to say, okay, well, we have to get this fixed because it's the best option for us, which meant we didn't have a plan for two more days. And, and then we wanted to stay even longer. So it's just kind of funny how critical flexibility came in our overall travel schedule. And we never knew that when we traveled for, you know, a long weekend or five days or seven days as a family. We never felt the luxury of, of flexibility. And so for us, it's very critical as we continue to design our life going forward. <laughs> this next one's kind of funny. This came from water, whitewater rafting, and it was that cold water is refreshing. I have a newfound respect for cold water, and it was not hot anywhere where we were. You know, it was very comfortable, 60s, 70s, sometimes kind of rainy and damp. And None of the water that we swam in or played in was warm. Most of it was glacier water. But I also learned that my body felt really good after being in the water. And so I appreciated the fact that there is this saying. So in Banff, when we went whitewater rafting, the tour guides don't use the word cold. The water's not cold. The water is refreshing. And we had plenty of gear to keep us warm. That was their intent is they want to be, us to be comfortable and warm throughout, throughout the process. But the water, when it hits you, it's whew, it's chilly, right? So we're like, whew, it's refreshing. Well, that stuck. And I've learned now to really appreciate cold water so much so that now <laughs> I'm kind of joke because I'm the hot water girl. Like I kill all the hot water in the shower. And now I'm getting more and more conscientious of saying like halfway through the shower, like turn it to cold and see what happens. And I'm really enjoying the invigorating, refreshing feel of cold water. Another lesson that I learned was that the ROI of my stress was a losing game. And I think I've known this for a long time, but it always feels like you're just trying to, to get things right, right? And <laughs> I always felt like I was trying to have things right. I noticed I was extremely stressed about work and spent several days stressing about a 60-minute meeting that in the end, I don't know that it was that big of a deal, but the amount of energy that went into worrying is just a losing battle. And so I wanted to have less of that, right? Less worry, less, I don't want to even call it regret, but like this, this mental space that is consumed with planning for the next thing or coming down from this adventure. There's a, there's a transition point there. And I realized 
there were these really high highs, but there were also really high low, very low lows. The other interesting learning was once we had a home date, all of a sudden we no- began to notice we were ready to be home. And we did not set a home date until two days before we arrived home. So we arrived home on a Monday and we were, <laughs> ironically, it, it was the last day of my vacation. We had kind of said, this is as far as we can go. This is as long as we can travel before I need to be home. Ironically, none of these thoughts or comments in all the times I had asked, you know, what people were missing or what they were craving or if there was something that we should have in the RV that we don't have at home or something like that. It was it was ironic that none of these comments came up. But as soon as we said, OK, we're going to be home on this date. It was a mental switch went off and now we're ready to be home. But we weren't ready until we set that home date. It was, it was just really fascinating. The things we missed we did again, we didn't notice that we missed these things until we were home. They were minimal. Things like my daughter loved her big bed when she came home, or the lazy boy recliner, or the piano, the trampoline, or even our artesian well. We have really good drinking water. And so the kids really appreciated our drinking water. So what does all this mean? Uh, it means that next year, we will do a version of a family gap year. And we're going to take a break from traditional life and explore the world or maybe North America, or maybe not. I don't know. But we're going to be together with our kids for an extended period of time. We might travel part of the time. We will do things that we love to do. But we also might be home and plugging in from time to time to reconnect. You know, we both have a desire to stay connected to the type of work that we were doing, to continue to contribute to our communities, to our interest areas, to stay connected with our friends. I don't know what the route will look like. We'll take it based on the people that we want to see, as I alluded to, and continue to build and sustain relationships with those individuals, but also cultivate experiences that we want to try, we want to do again, or give ourselves a timeline that allows us to slow down and disconnect from time to time. The reason I encourage people to not only think about their ideal life, but to also experiment is I never would have gotten here. I think so often we think the jump from planning to doing is so big. But it doesn't have to be. With a few simple experiments to say, what would it look like if, and maybe that's homesteading, well, what would it look like to plant a garden and be home for an extended period of time? Or what would it look like to take the kids out of school for an extended period of time? All of those things actually are pretty easy to test on a very small scale. And we don't really know what it looks like until we do the thing, until we practice it. I don't think we would have landed here. I don't think I, what I first imagined life would look like has anything to do with what, what we think life will look like next year. It's easy to see all the reasons it doesn't make sense, but without trying it and testing portions of your idea, you might artificially be writing off an opportunity or delaying something that's completely feasible. What would an ideal lifestyle look like for you or what are characteristics that you would like to experiment with? And how can I help? You know, if there's a person I can bring on the podcast, if if there's a way you want to connect with me to explore that next step or to guide you along the way, regardless of what it is, you know, maybe it's something I mentioned here or maybe it's something else. I'd love to connect and, and stay in tune with helping you reach your best life. Until next week, keep on adventuring. I look forward to hearing from you soon. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. 
subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.